Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. All right, what's up? Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, if this is your first time here, uh, my name's Nathan. As Kyle said, I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor at City Lions. Hey, we just join me real quick to welcome our brothers and sisters watching on Facebook right now. What's up, Facebook? Thanks for joining us. Uh, listen, whether you're here in person or online, we're just so glad that you are here with us today. Um, as we're kicking off a pretty exciting series, uh, I'm pretty excited about this, pretty stoked as we're kicking off the new year. It's a series called Next. And I think it will really be impactful and beneficial as you're kind of looking at the new year and kind of looking at what your next steps are for 2023. In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, what's next? Go ahead and ask them, what's next? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what's next right here. Uh, you know, how many of you, let me ask you this real quick, show of hands. How many of you, like, when the new year comes, you're like, I'm all about the goals. I'm all about the resolutions. Like, how many of you are like, any, any hands? Wow, okay, a couple of you. I see some sheep, sheepish hands up there. That's okay. I'm all about that. How many of you are just like, uh, I don't do the goals. I don't do the resolution. A lot of hands for that one. Okay, very, very cool. Well, listen, uh, one of the things like I always like to do, because I'm a goal guy, I like goals and resolutions and all that, is I always look and see what are some things I can do to kind of stretch in different areas of my life. And one of the things that we are doing a little bit differently this year is we actually have sermon notes. So I don't know if any of you are note takers, but we got some sermon notes for you to use. Someone's clapping. Okay, we got some note takers. Whenever I would go to a church with like fill in the blanks, I'd always see if I could fill them up faster than the preacher. And, you know, if, and see if I got the words right. And so there will be prizes if you are able to do that. Um, you know, you'll get like a, a handshake or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, one of the things is, you know, if you are a goal person or maybe you're maybe thinking about, hey, what do I want to do differently this year? Maybe you think about it around your finances, around your health, your career. Um, I want to also encourage you to think about what do I need to do differently this year spiritually than I did last year? How do I want to grow when it comes to my faith? Because here's the thing, and I think all of us would acknowledge this, none of us like to be stuck. You know what I mean? Like, none of us like to be stuck in our careers. We don't like to be stuck in our relationships, and our marriages. We don't want to be stuck, you know, in our businesses. And I think it's truth even in our faith. We don't want to get stuck. Not only is getting stuck inconvenient, it can be kind of demotivating, it can be even a little bit depressing when we get stuck, but I would even say it can be dangerous if we get stuck for too long. I remember uh, when my wife Jack and I first started dating, she lived up in Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is a little bit north of Boston, so I would go up and visit her from New Jersey uh, when I was living there, and I was driving this really sweet 1999 Nissan Sentra. Here was the sweetest part about this Nissan Sentra, and I would brag about this to everybody. I had, for three years, the check engine light on. That's right. I never took it in because I can't afford to go to a mechanic. I'm, a, I'm in graduate school. And for three years, the thing was on. Nothing was wrong with the car. So I'm like, this must be a faulty light. Like, this just must not be working right. And so I remember, you know, Jackie and I, I think we were at a wedding. And so we're driving back up, and I'm taking her back to, to her house in Dorchester. And so we're driving through Boston, right? If you've ever been to Boston or driven through Boston, Boston drivers, that's all I need to say. And you get it. You're like, oh, brother, I'm praying, right? 
So I am driving through the city of Boston. We're on Route 90, I think it was. And as we're driving, and I'm, you know, I'm in my car, my little Nissan Sentra with the check engine light bright on there, year three, pretty excited. All of a sudden, my car starts to decelerate. And it's going from like, you know, I'm going from 80, 85, don't judge me, 80, 85, left-hand lane, to all of a sudden it's going slower and slower, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? And like, I'm getting yelled at and honked at by Boston drivers, they're throwing stuff at me, and I'm trying to weave in and out, and, and my wife and I are going, oh my, oh, she wasn't my wife at the time, but we're trying to figure, oh my gosh, how are we going to get through this? Like, we are praying, and finally, we get to a shoulder, but the shoulder is in a tunnel. So we are in this tunnel, we are stuck it's about 95 degrees out. The car is completely shut down. The air conditioning's not working. And we're like, oh, man, we're stuck. And, you know, luckily, you know, I called AAA up and, hey, we need a tow truck. But because of where we were stuck in that tunnel, AAA was having a hard time finding a place to stop. So they literally had to circle a couple times. And, like, they're fighting traffic. And it was really, really bad. And so, like, the longer we were stuck there, the more dangerous it got for us to be there. And I think the same is true spiritually. The longer we are stuck spiritually, the more dangerous it can be for us to stay there. Maybe you noticed at the end of 2022, your spiritual check engine light came on. You know what I mean by that? Like maybe you're a little more grumpier than normal. You're less patient, maybe a little less loving. Uh, maybe you weren't really sensing God's presence. And maybe you were kind of, you know, maybe ignoring some prompts that the Holy Spirit was putting on your heart. But you, that spiritual check engine light was on. And you were starting to realize, man, I need to do something before my spiritual life starts to decelerate, before my spiritual life starts to slow down. Because here's the thing, when it comes to the spiritual life, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You're either progressing or you are regressing. And so we need to make sure that we understand this is that, and this is one of my convictions, is that if something is healthy, it will grow. Healthy things grow. And I think it's true when it comes to our spiritual lives. If we are healthy, we will be growing, which is why I think it's so important for us to get into the habit of asking this question. Let's all say this together. Ready? What's my next step? One more time, nice and loud. Ready? What's my next step? If you're watching online, go ahead and type those words out. What's my next step? What's my next step? What's the next right action I need to take to grow in my knowledge and understanding of God? What's my next step I need to take so I can position myself to receive more of God's grace. What's the next step I need to take so I can mature in my following of Jesus? And so one of the things that our elders have been working on over the past seven months behind the scenes is something that I think will help us kind of identify where we are in our spiritual journey and identify what that next right step is. Let me give you a little bit of background of kind of what's been happening behind the scenes. So back in the spring of 2022, our leadership was kind of gathered, and I said, you know what, guys, what is our next step as a church? Like, what should we be thinking about, praying about as we're looking at, you know, leading our church moving forward? And so one of the things I suggested was, why don't we bring someone from the outside to kind of give us some perspective? Because sometimes, you know, when you're in an organization or when you're in a church, you can kind of see things one way and you can easily miss what are our gaps, what are our growth areas. Maybe there's areas of, you know, unhealth that we need to address. And so sometimes you can't always see that when you're, you know, in the fishbowl, right? Like you ask a fish what water is, they're like, what are you talking about? So we, you know, we brought a consultant in, and they came, and they did, like, a whole secret shopper thing. They came to a service. They, you know, they observed. They took down some notes. Uh, they led us into a couple of exercises where we could kind of clarify some things and had some really good conversations in the midst of it. 
And while we were doing that, we kind of identified a couple of areas of kind of growth, some gaps, as it were, in our church. And one of those gaps is we don't really have a uh, formalized process of how do we take someone from a place of, I don't really have a faith, to a place where they are fully devoted followers of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do, but how do you sequence it? What is the next right step? We didn't have a lot of really clear, tangible, what's my next step to take on the spiritual journey. And so I want to share with you something we've been working on, but let me just kind of tell you real quick, this is still wet cement. This is still in the beta test mode. There are some things I'm going to share. We may change as we're getting more information or as we're kind of trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. But, you know, as, as our leadership was t- team was talking, we we're like, I think we just need to get this out there so people know that this is what we're working on and this is kind of what we want to take our people through. So I want to share with you this right here, and this is our spiritual formation pathway. And some of you are like, this was in the notes. I already saw it. I go, good. But this is basically, uh, and I'll, I'll explain what these, each of these kind of terms mean in a moment here, but the spiritual formation pathway is basically a way for us, and I'm going to be a 30,000 foot view, of how you go from one end to the other. And it's actually based on spiritual stages. All of us go through or have gone through these spiritual stages at one point or another. Some of us have gone through them really, really fast. Some of us are slowly kind of progressing through them. But I wanted just to say something as we kind of go into this. First off, this is not for you to compare. I think as human beings, we can sometimes say, man, I'm here, but so-and-so is here. Man, I I feel really bad that I'm not further along in this process. Like, I've been a a follower of Jesus for decades, but, but I'm still kind of stuck over here. This isn't a tool for you to compare or to make you feel bad. It's simply a place to help you identify where am I at right now in my walk with Jesus? And what are my next steps? Because listen, all of us are on a journey, right? Jesus is walking with us on this journey. I have a mentor who once said that faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. So the goal here is not to make you feel guilty. It's to simply say, hey, how can I better identify where I'm at right now in my faith, in my walk with Jesus, and know what my next steps are? So let's kind of walk through each of these together, and I'll kind of define them. And the first kind of phase here is the spiritually uninterested, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, because if you're not interested, you're probably not in the room, you know? Or you're probably not watching online. Uh, These are just for folks that, you know, who literally, they have no, maybe, their first thought in the day isn't about God, it's not about Jesus, it's not about anything spiritual. They're just kind of going through life, trekking through life. And maybe you know some of these people, maybe you work with some of these people, maybe you live with some of these people, but they don't spiritually, they're not really interested in spiritual things for for whatever reason. And and usually something happens with these folks, like there's a, a threshold they cross where we become more aware, or they become more aware of, you know what, I think there are some spiritual things out there. Maybe there is a God. Maybe there is, there, there's something more to the universe than just me. These would be people that are spiritually curious. And we're going to spend some time today talking about this group right here. They're not quite yet believers. They haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus yet, but they're open. They're curious. They want to know more information. They're like, how does this faith thing work? Or, hey, these are the things I've seen about Christians out there. That's kind of weird. Like, how does it actually work in real life? Like, what does the Bible actually say about? What is the Bible? Why should I trust the Bible? They're in a place where they're asking questions and they want to grow. And at some point, spiritually curious people will cross a threshold where they say, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to put my faith and my trust in Christ. And, you know, at first, you know, you talk to some new believers, they get really, really excited, you know, like getting a new puppy, right? Like they're, they're super, super, you know, yippee, yippee, but then they're, you know, 
pee on everything, right? They're just so excited about this new faith in Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's like two steps forward, like, hey, I'm really growing, and then one step back. Like, they're kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to make faith work, and, and how, what does this mean about my relationships and my job and my finances? They're trying to figure out all those things, so it can be a really challenging time as well. But at some point, a new believer will become a disciple. Now, a disciple is someone who's like, I am intentionally looking at ways to grow in my faith. A disciple is moving from being a consumer to a contributor. When you're a new believer, you're like, I just want more information. Like, what do I need to know? What do do I need to know? And and how do I grow? But when you become a disciple, you start to discover, what are my spiritual gifts? How has God uh, wired me and made me so I can make an impact and a contribution? And so that's kind of a big shift. You're going from being a a consumer of content, a consumer of stuff, to how can I actually contribute? How can I actually give back? How can I use my gifts to bless other people? And the final stage is the disciple maker. This is the phase where we go from, you know what, I've been, you know, not only am I contributing, but I want to help other people contribute. I want to help other people grow in their faith. I want to help the spiritually uninterested people in my life understand their need for Jesus. I want to help spiritually curious people grow in their understanding so that one day they can be a new believer. And I want to maybe spend some time with a new believer, helping them understand, answer their questions so that they can be a disciple and eventually become a disciple maker. You see, when we look at the Christian life, it's not about just kind of getting stuff or knowing stuff. It's actually about reproducing to the next spiritual generation. Maybe you've heard this, God doesn't have any grandkids. It's up to you and I to say, hey, I want to help raise up the next generation of Jesus followers in our world today. So throughout this series, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple maker, I'm going to kind of show you areas where, hey, this is your next step of how you can develop the people around you, how you can pray for and encourage them in this moment. And so we're going to start by talking about spiritually curious people, spiritually curious people. All of us at one point or another we were spiritually curious. Maybe you're like, well, Nathan, I came to know Jesus at five years old. Well, five years old, you probably had some questions about God. You probably had some questions about the spiritual things, and you were spiritually curious. Maybe it was for not very long because your parents explained the gospel to you, and then you became a new believer, and that was kind of where you went from there. But all of us, at one point or another, we've entered into this stage. Now, I didn't kind of make up this term spiritually curious. In fact, uh, you know, we don't see this phrase in the Bible but it describes different people who are spiritually curious. Like, I think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. This is a woman that Jesus met, and, you know, he finds out she had five husbands. She was in all these really difficult relationships that didn't end well. She was spiritually curious. She had questions about spiritual things. When everyone else had judged her, Jesus did not. I think of Zacchaeus. You know, you guys know Zacchaeus. He was like the Bernie Madoff of the ancient world, ripping people off all the time, and he was short. That was probably his biggest deficiency here. So Zacchaeus, you know, wee little man, but he was spiritually curious. He's climbing this tree. He's trying to see about Jesus. He's like, what do I, what, what do, I need to do? What are my next steps? And then you have the rich young ruler, and here's a guy. He's like, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he's like, I'm doing all those things. And then Jesus says, will you be willing to give away all your possessions? And he walks away because he's struggling. Do I, do I keep my stuff? Or, or do I give it all up to, to follow Jesus and enter his kingdom? And so these are spiritually curious people that Jesus doesn't turn away. He welcomes their questions. He invites them to learn more and to understand more. And, and there's always these different ways that people respond. So today I want to spend our time looking at a spiritually curious man in the New Testament that I think will help us 
maybe emulate the same attitude that Jesus had towards spiritually curious people. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen or on your notes. But John is actually one of Jesus' disciples. John was uh, one of Jesus' biographers. He writes this biography, and he's writing this to spiritually curious people from Greco-Roman uh, from a Greco-Roman perspective. He's trying to help them understand the message of Jesus and the story of Jesus because these, it's a culture that really doesn't have that understanding. So John's trying to help them have that understanding. And so he tells this story of Nicodemus. Starting at verse 1, it says this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So let's pause for a second here. One of the first details we learn is that Nicodemus is a religious leader. What does that tell us? You can be religious and spiritually curious. You can grow up in the church. You can have, you know, a Christian morality, a Christian view of the world, values, all those things, but still not know Jesus. And that was Nicodemus's story. He, he did not know Jesus, but he had that same kind of worldview, that same perspective on things. In fact, some people grow up, and the reason why they're spiritually curious is because they've been hurt by religious people. They've been actually pushed away from Jesus because of that. And then let's look what it says here. It says, Rabbi, we all know... Oh, go back one. Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So... Let's pause here for a second, because before Nicodemus even gets to his question, he's acknowledging a tension that he's feeling. Okay, at this point, the religious leaders have all kind of said, hey, Jesus is bad. Okay, stay away from Jesus. Like, he is a false teacher. That is the brand, that is the line that the religious leaders are going with. But, but Nicodemus is like, there's something about Jesus, though. There's something about him that's, that's attractive and compelling, and man, like... Uh, that I'm drawn to. Like, clearly, he's from God. Clearly, like, there's something supernatural here. And so Nicodemus is stuck trying to figure out what, what to do with Jesus. He, and at this point, Jesus says to him this. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus, he's in this place where he's struggling between his religiosity and his curiosity. And as he's struggling in this tension, Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you've heard the term born again, or, you know, maybe you're watching and you're like, oh man, like, what does that mean? Like, this is really kind of confusing. In Greek, born again means born from above, or born of God, born of heaven is the idea. And it's this idea that there's certain things that you and I cannot enter into, spiritual things, unless God is the one who initiates them in our lives. And when it says you cannot see the kingdom of God, this term see also means enter. So it's this idea that you cannot enter into the realm of God where he rules. That's what kingdom of God means, kind of like shorthand. It's the realm where God rules unless he has born you again, unless he has revived your spirit in that sense. And so at this point, Nicodemus hears this and his response is, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Like, for, let's pause for a second. Can you, let's think about how weird this image is, right? Anyone ever think about this? Like an 80-year-old kind of getting right back up the birth canal, getting right back in there? 
By the way, don't do a Google search on that. Like, let me spare you the trauma right off the bat. But Nicodemus is like, what is going on here? Because you see, for Nicodemus, here's how he understood things. The only people that get to go into God's kingdom are Jewish people. That's it. You have to be born into a Jewish family in order to go into God's kingdom. That's it, bottom line. But Jesus is flipping the script on him. No, no, you have to be born from above. You have to experience a spiritual reality. When you are born again, that's how you enter into God's kingdom. See, when you're spiritually curious, you can access this new kingdom, this new way of being, when you surrender your life to Jesus. Then you get an all-access pass to God's kingdom. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, uh, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now, there's a lot going on here, like water, spirit, like reproduction, like what's happening here? Jesus is kind of putting like an underline on his point. He's saying this, Nicodemus, it's not about where you're born. You know what it's about? It's about my spirit. My spirit gives birth to spiritual things. And so when you surrender your life to me, that's when life change happens. That's when transformation takes place. Jesus goes on and says this. He says, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. At which point Nicodemus says, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Now, I, I want you to remember something about Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He has got clout, okay? He's got prestige. He's got power. He has got wealth. He could literally hear Jesus and be like, Jesus, you know what? You are a false teacher. Like, forget this. Like, you're out. And literally, he could make one phone call. His guards come. The Jesus movement's over. But Nicodemus is acknowledging his stuckness. And he's like, and he gets vulnerable here. And this is where he says this. He says, how, did, how are these things possible? He's acknowledging his question. He's acknowledging that he doesn't know. So Jesus says here, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about the earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So notice that Jesus, you know, he tells Nicodemus the truth. He goes, you need to be born from above, Nicodemus. It's not enough that you're born biologically Jewish. You need to be born spiritually. The way that happens is by following Jesus, by surrendering your life to Jesus, putting your trust and your faith in him. Now, what we don't see in John chapter 3 is how this encounter ends. We have no idea, was Nicodemus like, all right, I'm in. Most likely not. We see him show up periodically in the New Testament, or in, in, in the book, but he, he's a little bit, you know, he's not really rocking the boat. But we do see him eventually show up in John chapter 19, where it says this. It says, Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, so Nick at night, he brought about, some of you over 30 are like, I get that. <laughs> he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh, and aloes. What does this mean here? So when Jesus was crucified on the cross and he died, 
there is a Jewish burial rite. But like all of Jesus' followers at this point, they had scattered. All of them had, you know, they had little to no money. Getting all this stuff required a lot of wealth. And so Nicodemus went out, he got the stuff, and he and another guy secured the body of Jesus. Nicodemus, the guy who came at night because he was ashamed of what people would think if he was following Jesus, now shows up in the daytime identifying himself publicly and saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not ashamed. Do what you want. And what church history says is that Nicodemus got kicked out of his leadership position and was exiled. But he was a follower of Jesus until the end. He went from being spiritually curious to a new believer to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You know, when it comes to spiritually curious people in our lives, I mean, people who are asking questions, maybe people who are spiritual outsiders that kind of want to know, what's this Jesus thing about? Like, what's it really about? Like, not, not what you tell me. What's it actually about? There's a couple attitudes, I think, and perspectives that Jesus shows us in this encounter with Nicodemus that I want to look at. Like, how, how does Jesus model engaging with spiritually curious people? Or maybe you're watching right now, and you're spiritually curious, and you're wondering, yeah, what does faith look like? What does following Jesus actually mean? Well, here's what I want to look at. I want to look at two ways that Jesus does this. The first is this, is that Jesus loves spiritually curious people. He loves spiritually curious people. And we see how he demonstrates that love and how he receives Nicodemus. I mean, think about this. Like, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is going nonstop. Like, he is going, 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 ministering all day long, traveling. And yet, in the midst of his busy travel schedule, in the midst of all of his teaching and all of his meeting with people during the day, he makes space at night for Nicodemus to show up, for Nicodemus to ask his questions, to, to have the spiritual conversations. He doesn't push him away. He invites him in. And I think this is something that is really, really powerful. It's, he's really intentional about this. He's intentional about engaging with spiritually curious people in his life. Let me ask us a question here. How many of you can identify spiritually curious people in your life right now? People who maybe are on the fence, or maybe at one time they were coming to church, but then they stopped, or maybe they're struggling in their faith. Because one of the things that's a challenge for followers of Jesus is that the longer we walk with Jesus, the, the less and less spiritually curious people are in our lives. This is a natural thing that happens because, you know, we just gravitate towards people that are more like us, that share our values, or our vision of the world, things like that. But do we have spiritually curious people in our lives that we're intentionally connecting with, that we're praying for, encouraging, blessing, uh, making space for at our tables, at our homes. You know, um, some of you know this, um, I've just kind of, you know, I've been, I moved from New Jersey here, and one of my first major tasks when I moved to Williamsport was to find a place to get my hair cut. Um, you know, because you know, I, went and got, I went to this hipster place in New Jersey called the Bearded Barber, and they didn't have one in Williamsport, believe it or not. Um, I probably needed to stop seeing a hipster barber anyway. So, uh, you know, so I'm going to all these different, like, hair salons and places, trying to find a person to cut my hair, getting all these recommendations from people, and, you know, uh, you know, as I'm doing that, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting as I'm meeting people and having conversations was I was meeting all these spiritually curious people in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and one of the interesting um, things I noticed is spiritually curious people in this part of Pennsylvania actually have a church background. Many of them have gone to church Many of them had grew up in the church, have Christian parents, have, you know, those Christian values. But when you start to get to know them a little bit more and dig a little bit beneath the surface, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's not something that is really kind of vital at the center, at the core of their lives. 
And I, I thought that was interesting. And so, you know, everyone I talked to, you know, we're talking about spiritual things and church things. And I remember at one place, I was, I was getting my hair cut. And as I'm getting my hair cut, you know, I'm having this conversation with my, my stylist. And, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, she asked, well, what brought you here? And I said, well, you know, I became the pastor of this church. And so we're talking about, you know, churchy things, Christianity things. And I asked her a question. I said, hey, what church do you go to? And, you know, literally at this point, you know, she's like, you know, cutting my hair, doing all this. And at that point, she stopped. And she looked up in the mirror and made eye contact with me and said, I'm never going to church again. I'm so bitter, so angry, and I'm so hurt about what happened to me. I'm never, ever showing up ever again. At that point, I'm like, what do I say now? <laughs> and so, you know, I changed the subject, talk about some other things, and at some point in the conversation, I think she kind of felt like that was a pretty heavy <laughs> comment to make. She's, you know, Nathan, I haven't given up on Jesus. I'm just done with the church. I'm done with religious people. And I don't know if, if you're here today or you're watching online now, maybe you'd say, hey, I'm, I'm definitely spiritually curious. I'm, I'm not done with Jesus, but I am done with religious people. Like maybe you're watching online right now, and the reason why you aren't here is because you're like, how are those church people going to treat me? How are they going to view me? They don't know my past. They don't know what I've done. They're going to be judgy. And if that's you, maybe you're here right now in person, I just want to say on behalf of church people, I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. I'm so sorry that you felt judged, that you felt pushed away from Jesus, that you pushed away from things spiritual. Uh, the reality is, you know, we're not perfect. We're all finite, fallen, imperfect human beings. We don't always get it right. But one of the things that we strive, and it's an aspiration, is we want to make this place a place where it's safe for you to come with your questions. It's safe for you, you to come and to heal. It's safe for you to come and pursue Jesus wherever you're at on your journey. Even if you're spiritually curious, even if you're like, I don't have all the pieces together, I don't know if I believe all the right things, that's okay. We want to give you space where you can explore those things. But we don't want to just give lip service to it. We actually want to be really practical and specific in how we do that. That's one of the reasons why we still do our Facebook Live streaming. I know that this is something that we kind of developed during the pandemic, but it's something that we continue to do because I understand that for many people, like, watching on Facebook is safe before they ever show up at our building. They kind of want to know, what, what, are, what are they like? Like, what's, what's going on at this church? And so that's why we have streaming. We want to make sure that you people can actually see and be a part of what we're doing as people are kind of sensing their way through. Uh, one of the first things that I, I kind of did as I came here is you might have noticed that I kind of preach in series. Like, usually, you know, we'll stick on a theme for four to six weeks. And when we do these series and develop them, we really do develop them around those different spiritual stages that we just talked about. In fact, we did a series this past summer for spiritually curious people to design for them. It was called Asking for a Friend. One of the reasons why we did this is because we know people are asking questions. People outside of our walls have questions about faith. They have questions about spirituality, and they kind of want to know more. And it's also for those of us who are disciples and disciple makers. Sometimes we don't know how to answer the questions our friends are asking. If our friends are asking, how can you believe the Bible? Well, we wanted to give you some information so that you know how to answer those questions, so that you could actually help them as they're trying to figure out their own questions about faith and things like that. Even the way we kind of do all have our service elements on a Sunday morning. We're trying to find ways, how can we make space for spiritually curious people? Probably one of the things that you've noticed over the past 
couple of months is we've kind of changed how often we do communion. We used to do communion every single week, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But as we were talking about spiritually, uh, as our leaders were talking, we also want to make sure that familiarity doesn't breed contempt. We want to make sure that when we come to the table, we have, have enough time to explain, here's what the table is for. Here's who it's for. It's for followers of Jesus. And even if you're here as, as a spiritually curious person on the, and you're trying to figure things out, here's what it means. Here's why we do it. We want to make sure we connected it with the message when we were teaching on a Sunday morning so we make sure that it has the ultimate impact. That's why we teach from the Bible. We still believe that the scriptures have the, have the power to change lives. It's authoritative for how we live, and so we want to make sure we do that. But the other thing, too, is we, we, we don't want to just kind of, you know, discount the fact that it's really the power of the Holy Spirit that makes these changes. Look what Jesus says. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Bottom line, guys, I am never, I am not a good enough communicator to make someone who's spiritually curious cross the faith line and become a new believer. It's completely a work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Bible says is that when we gather together and we worship Jesus, it says that God is in our midst. He's in our presence. I think one of the prophets is that he dances in our midst. God shows up. It's what the Bible calls the manifest presence of God. You've heard of the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere. The manifest presence is where God shows up in a specific way. We actually start to sense him. Maybe we say things like, oh man, I can really feel God here. That's indications of God's manifest presence. It's the power that believers have to do anything. In fact, in Acts 1.8, it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, the reality is that without the Holy Spirit, spiritually curious people can't be transformed. In fact, disciples and disciple makers, we can't be transformed either. It's the Holy Spirit that has access to our hearts. The way I like to think about it is this, is that if you think of spiritually uninterested people in your life or spiritually curious people in your life, the Holy Spirit is having a conversation with them right now. And he invites you and I into that conversation with them. That's what we're called to do. We're simply called to respond to what the Spirit is already doing. In fact, one of the ways, again, that we're intentional about making space for spiritually curious people is we share the gospel on a Sunday morning. Maybe you guys have heard this. We did this on Christmas Eve. We talk about the ABCs, right? Whether it's me preaching or Andrew preaching, we want to be intentional about letting people know, hey, here's what the gospel is, and here's how you can take your next step. In fact, maybe you're here today or you're watching and you're spiritually curious, and I want to give you a really tangible step. Go ahead and take out your phone and text Start My Journey to 97,000. Now, normally what I do is, like, you know, after we, you know, I invite people to begin following Jesus, I say, hey, you should totally text this as your first step. But maybe you're still kind of testing things out with faith. And so I want to encourage you, go ahead, text this. And what you'll do is you'll get three videos kind of talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And what it also does is helps our leaders know how to follow up with you to help you on your spiritual journey. In fact, I'll leave this number on all the slides so that whenever you want to uh, go ahead and text it, you can. Or if you're watching online, same thing. But if you're spiritually curious or you're identifying yourself, that's where I'm at in this. And like, I'm not really sure where I'm at with this Jesus stuff yet, but I'm open. I want to know more. And this is your next step. Because Jesus loves spiritually curious people. 
And so do we as a church. We love people who are trying to figure it out. And listen, it's a journey, right? Faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Second point I want to look at is this, is that Jesus invests in spiritually curious people. Jesus actually invests his time, his energy, into spiritually curious people. You know, I think about the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and I don't think Nicodemus left completely convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. I'm sure he was still like, I don't know if this Jesus guy really is who he says he is. But over time, that investment that Jesus made in Nicodemus paid off. Remember what it said in chapter 19? It said, Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, Nick at night, he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. He went public with his faith. He wasn't afraid to hide in where he went public because Jesus took the time to invest in him. And he invested in Nicodemus, and it led to Nicodemus' transformation. In fact, you know, if you read through the entire chapter 19, there was another guy named Joseph of Arimathea who was also a religious leader. And these two guys were like, you know what, you're right, there's something about this Jesus. I'm sure they were encouraging each other as they're kind of looking at these things. So how do we reach spiritually curious people? So one of our strategies that we're going to kind of add to our game in 2023 as a church is what I call invest and invite. Invest and invite. Here's how this works. And some of you are like, you know, you probably already get this, and some of you are already doing this. So. But really, it's this idea that God has placed you in a family. God has placed you in a neighborhood. He's placed you in a zip code. He has placed you uh, where you are so that you can invest in the people around you, so that you can encourage them. You can bless them. You can love them. You can find out what their needs are and, and try to meet their needs in real and tangible ways. Often what I'll tell people is, for the investment part, just don't be weird, Okay? Like, that's all you need to do. Just don't be weird. That's like 95% of, you know, of evangelism. Like, just don't be weird. Model for them what an authentic, life-giving faith looks like. And then look for opportunities when the Holy Spirit puts on your heart to invite them. It could be inviting them to a party at your house. It could be inviting them out for coffee where you kind of get to know their story. It could even be inviting them to church. You know, this Christmas Eve, you know, I said, hey guys, I encourage you, invite someone to church who is spiritually curious. I didn't use that term yet. Because here's the thing, you know, and I shared this stat with you last time, 83% of people who don't go to church, who are spiritually curious, will come if someone invites them. 83%, that's a really high number. But maybe some of you, and I was talking with some of you, were like, you know, Nathan, I invited someone to church, I did what you said, and they said no. I was talking with somebody who said, you know, I invited this couple to church, and they said, well, we're not really that religious, so we're just not going to come. And so they were kind of discouraged about that. And what I said to them was, that's great! Here's why. Your part is you invite. And you trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. And you know what? Every time you get a no, you're one no closer to a yes. So don't give up. Don't give up. There are people that God has put in your life, when they look at you, you're the only Bible they will read, you're the only Jesus that they will ever see, and it's your opportunity to bless them. You don't have to be perfect, but you can be authentic. And that speaks to people. So I want to encourage you this week. Who are those spiritually curious people in your life? And how's God calling you to bless them? Encourage them? Maybe it's just to pray for them. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online right now and you're like, oh, that's me, I'm, I'm spiritually curious. And I don't, I don't, have all the answers to all of my questions. 
I'm kind of struggling a little bit trying to figure out this faith stuff. I wasn't planning on doing this now, but I just kind of feel like if you are spiritually curious, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, I want to invite you to begin your journey following Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have your life all together. Jesus says, come as you are. Bring your mess with you. And what he does is he cleanses you. He cleans you up from the inside out. And so I just want to lead you in this prayer. Really simple. And this is just your first step. And then I want to encourage you. Tell someone. It can be us through that phone number. Start my journey, 97,000. Tell a friend of yours to tell somebody that you took this step to begin following Jesus. Let's all bow our heads right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for those who are spiritually curious, who are watching this message, or maybe they'll watch this message later in the week, for those who are in the room right now, that they would begin to take a step of faith, to take, maybe it's a leap of faith for them. Maybe there's hurt that they're stepping over. Maybe it's doubt that they're stepping over. Maybe it's fear that they're stepping over. Lord, would you help them take a step of faith today? So if you're spiritually curious, that's where you've identified yourself on the pathway, just pray this prayer with me. You do it in the silence of your heart. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Only you can make me born again born of water and spirit. Would your Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of me? Would you make me spiritually alive? Help me become aware of spiritual things as I go into this new year. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross, for rising from the dead and inviting me into your kingdom that I can be in right now. Thank you for this in your name. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.